I don't know if I have ever... It, Thanksgiving is supposed to be a peaceful holiday. It's about, maybe? Oh, yes. I was, before you had a child. That is, in fact, true. Um, that we were in a room that had three children in it, one of whom was mine. Um, we had roughly a almost three-year-old. We had a 10-month-old. And then we had Margaret, who is 16 months old. And uh, I witnessed several amazing feats of childhood all in one day. I watched my daughter basically road grade a three-year-old into the wall at one point um, because she was trying so hard to hug her. Um, So it was so fun. Um, But there were several times during this day, and I loved every minute of it. Y'all listen, I love my family. I love all of my family, and I love being with them. Um, I know this will shock you. I'm not a quiet person. I thrive in environments that are high energy, that there's always something going on. I'm an extrovert. You ever heard extrovert, introvert? Uh, The best definition of extrovert, introvert I've ever heard is not that extroverts are outgoing and introverts are not, because I've known some introverts who are very good at being outgoing. Um, And I've known some extroverts who don't really say anything. They just like to be around lots of people all the time who are. The best definition of extrovert is someone who gains energy from being with other people. And an introvert is someone who has to expend energy to be with other people. They recharge in different ways. Extroverts recharge by being around lots of people in higher energy situations. Introverts recharge by being alone. But even extroverts can reach their limit. Um, I reached mine and I knew it because I said, what is this strange new feeling? I want quiet. (laughs) Um, And I find myself looking ahead. That has just been the theme, I think, of life for me this last week or so and just conversations and even this sermon has taken an interesting turn towards this is we can look ahead you know, before this trip, I was looking ahead to where are we going to go? When are we going to be there? What time we got to leave? What we got to have in the car? Then you get the car loaded and then, okay, how long does the GPS say it's going to take to Atlanta? Now that I know the GPS says this, how long is it actually going to take to get to Atlanta? And then once you get to Atlanta, okay, where are we going next? What are we going to do? Do we have everything that we need for Margaret tomorrow? And there's always the next thing to look at. There's always the next thing you've got to do. And you it's real. Have you ever had trouble just enjoying where you were when you were there? That it's always you got the next thing on your brain and it's always I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. When I say looking forward, I don't mean you're necessarily excited about the next thing. I just mean that your mind's already there. It's not you're, you're not where your feet are. It's exhausting trying to chase yourself, isn't it? Admittedly, before these conversations started happening, this was not the direction I saw the sermon going, and yet here we are. That Christians be careful when you talk about eternal life. That the, the creed says that we believe 
in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And if you're not careful, you can expect them in that order. That you can say, one day I will have the resurrection of my body and then I'll have the life everlasting. There's only one problem with that. The Bible. That's not the order the Bible puts it in. The Bible says you can have present tense eternal life right now. Well, pastor, how am I supposed to do that? this, This body certainly doesn't seem eternal. Y'all, I'll turn 30 in January and when I kneel down, my knees already crack. Yes, I know, I know. It's horrible. I am falling apart. No, yes, yes, Lord. No, but, but, but all joking aside, right? It, it doesn't take long to start going downhill, does it? No, it happens fast. Um, if y'all can't tell, I'm happy to be back. This is fun. Um, but 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 in all seriousness, it, it it doesn't take long for 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 stuff for the wheels to start coming off. And you might look at yourself in the mirror and say, "This doesn't make sense. How I'm supposed to have everlasting life right now?" You know, we experience death, we experience suffering, we experience the deterioration of our bodies that we see things happening to us. And you go out to go do something that maybe five years ago was easier for you, and you got to think a little bit now, and you got to breathe a little bit harder, and you got to work a little bit harder to put one foot in front of the other. And you say, Man, what's happening to me? Life is just wearing down. Or maybe I don't have as much life in me as I used to. Well, that's not what the Bible says if you know Jesus. So if you got there in your copy of God's Word, I want to unpack this a little bit this morning and talk about having eternal life. If you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which is testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son will have life. I saw some heads shaking. They should have been. That's not what it says, is it? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Father, I pray that you would bless this time together. And Lord, that we as Christians, out of everything that we've been thankful for this week, Lord, I pray that those in this room who believe in the name of the Son of God would be thankful for the fact that we currently, this moment, right now, have eternal life in the Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You can sit down. So the book of 1 John is interesting. Uh, The book of 1 John is one of my personal favorites because... 
it, it's simultaneously one of the most theologically rich and practically helpful books in the entire Bible. You know, some books in the Bible, every book in the Bible is valuable, okay? I'm not saying that there's any book in the Bible that's less valuable than another one. But some books of the Bible are extremely theological. Some books of the Bible are extremely practical. You know, what do I mean by that? You know, if you look at Romans, Romans is extremely theological. You've got to put your thinking hat on for that one. You've got to work your way through Paul's logic and then understand, you know, we're going to talk about all kinds of deep theological truths that it's going to take you a lifetime to wrap your head around. And then there are books like Proverbs. Where Proverbs gives you wisdom for living your daily life and, you know, gives you things like, you know, don't muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. You know, that's not, that's the law. It's not necessarily Proverbs, but, you know, you, you read something like that and you're like, man, what? That, that's not really all that theological. No, that's just saying if somebody's working for you, let them enjoy the fruits of their labor too. You know, just because that's right. Um. There are some books that are practical. There are some books that are primarily theological. First John's both. It's extremely theological, but it's practical for the sense that John said, I want you Christians to know something. I want you to know that you were right to believe in Jesus. And I want you to know that you can trust Him to save you and give you eternal life. I want you Christians to know that you are saved. That's important, isn't it? Y'all, it's a panicky life to live day in and day out and worry whether or not you're saved. That's real panicky. And there are plenty of denominations that do not believe what we believe. We believe eternal secu- we believe in eternal security. Why do I believe that? That it's it, because Jesus is the one who saved me. I'm not. And if I could have saved myself, then I could have lost myself. But for me to be lost after Jesus saved me means he'd have to lose me. And he had never lost any of them that the Father has given him. And John wrote 1 John to a church that was questioning, did we really make the right call? Can we really believe in the testimony of the people that told us about Jesus? Can we really believe that just believing in Christ is enough for us? That that will save us? And John said unequivocally, yes. Jesus is enough. And you were right to believe in Him. And in the closing chapter of 1 John... John really bears down and he says, finally, the reason to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is because God the Father told you to. That that's the ultimate closing argument. That God the Father has testified Himself. That Jesus is his son and he has endorsed his ministry and that he is trustworthy and has the authority to give eternal life. So I want us to break down exactly what John has to say in verses 9 through 13. And hopefully at the end of the day, you can leave assured that you know how you can have eternal life. 
So first, to believe in God is to believe His witness. Verses 9 and 10. John says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. <clears throat> For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. There are two basic points that John's trying to get across here in, in this little section. Uh, where he says, basic point one, God's testimony is more reliable than the testimony of humans. Uh, that when John says, if you receive the witness of men, in Greek the idea is since you receive the witness of men. If you've ever watched uh, an actual courtroom proceeding, or if you've never gotten closer than law and order, then you will know that there is something called a witness. That in the absence, or maybe to corroborate material, physical evidence, uh, sometimes you have a witness who will sit down and counsel will ask them, did you see this person here at this time? Did this person tell you this? Can you vouch for the fact that this happened? And that is a form of evidence. That testimony and witness is evidence. And if you're going to believe human evidence in a trial, which, by the way, as long as humans have sought to determine truth, we have valued the verbal testimony of human witnesses. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, you will see that there were actually even laws governing how witnesses were to be treated. It goes as far back as the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That it was considered an egregious crime. To step forward and say, yeah, I saw, I saw Bob steal Jim's camel. Well, if, Jim didn't, if Bob didn't do that, and you lie, he might get punished for something he didn't do, right? This was one of the Ten Commandments, that a witness was supposed to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. That's why we have that. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, this is even quoted in the New Testament. One witness shall not arise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So in the Old Testament, it wasn't even one guy just stands up and provides one witness and that's enough to convict the guy. That there had to be corroborating witnesses. There had to be two or three or more people to say the same thing. And then if you keep reading Deuteronomy 19, you even go so far down as the law that God gave said, if someone is discovered to be a false witness, the penalty that was given to them is whatever the person they lied on would have had happen to them if they were convicted. So if a false witness provided testimony that would have gotten this person executed, and then it's found out that this person is a false witness, it was the death penalty. That God took the truthfulness of witnesses very, very seriously. And John says, if you're willing to receive the witness of men, which is a normal thing, it is reasonable to expect human witness to be truthful. In a trial setting especially. If you're willing to receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. 
Well, why is the witness of God greater than the witness of, of humans? Well, because he's God. What do you know about God? That God is inherently truthful. That he is all light. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. That if he says something, it is trustworthy. That's why I preach as close to this as I can. Because the closer I stick to this, the more sure I am that I'm not leading you off some path somewhere down into Crazyville. Right? That God's Word is trustworthy on its face. You don't need to tell me anything other than the fact God said it for me to know that it's true and reliable. So if you're willing to listen to the witnesses of men... And God's law itself says that you don't even just need one man. You need two or three. You don't just need one woman. You need two or three. You, you need multiple witnesses for people. Just God just giving one witness would be enough, wouldn't it? But He didn't just give one. John says, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Well, I don't want to just take this out of context. What witness has God given of his son? Well, look up at verse 8. There are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. Okay? There are three that bear witness. God has provided Three witnesses to confirm the identity and the trustworthiness of his son. We got the spirit. We're going to come back to him last. The water and the blood. Now, in, in, in Dr. Aiken's New American Commentary on this, he explains them by going back to verse 6 and saying, The water and the blood refer to terminal points in Jesus' earthly ministry. His baptism... Water. And his crucifixion, blood. This is the best interpretation and is followed by most scholars. Historically, Jesus, quote unquote, came into his power by the water of his baptism and even more so by the blood of his cross. Now, does that mean Jesus gained something in his baptism he didn't already have? No. Does that mean that Jesus gained something in his crucifixion he didn't already have? No. But I want you to think back to Jesus' baptism. And we're not going to go back and read the whole passage. But in, in, in the plurality of the Gospels, when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, what happens? Two things. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And you hear the Father speak from heaven and says what? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, was John, were John and Jesus the only people that were there that day? No. There's a crowd. That God provided a public endorsement of Jesus. Literally said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The entire Trinity was present in the Jordan River that day. They were all there. And then you think forward to his crucifixion. Was his crucifixion a normal crucifixion? No. In terms of the procedure of crucifying someone, yes, it was a normal crucifixion. But normal crucifixions don't have the sun blotted out of the sky. 
Normal crucifixions don't have earthquakes that open the tombs and have the, the, the sainted dead walking around because death got its back broken. Normal crucifixions do not rip the veil in the temple from top to bottom. Normal crucifixions do not result in a Roman centurion who had potentially beaten and mocked Jesus hours prior to look up at his death and say, this was the Son of God. The centurion got it. That when Jesus was being crucified, God was communicating by everything that happened. You've killed my son. And then the Spirit afterward, if you've ever been convicted of the truthfulness of Scripture and the claims it makes, it's not because you made a logical deduction, it's because the Spirit confirmed the truth of this to you. The Spirit, John says, in verse 10, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself that the Spirit takes what God has shown externally, which we have a record of in the Bible. Okay, None of us were there at Jesus' baptism. None of us were there in the flesh at His crucifixion. We did not see them with our own two eyes. But have you ever read that account in your Bible and said, I know in my bones, in my soul this is true. You know why you've had that experience? Because the Holy Spirit convicted you of it. And the Holy Spirit took what God showed externally and internalized it in you. I'm, I, promised, I promised one of our members that was at prayer meeting this last week that I was going to make this illusion. And I'm either gonna, it's either going to make sense or I'm going to get run out. But I'll say it anyway. Christians and alcoholics have one thing in common. Not that there's no such thing as an alcoholic Christian who's struggling. I'm just saying. There is something, there, there is one particular trait that we share. Have you ever heard that an alcoholic can always say, I can quit whenever I want to. Right? I can quit whenever I want. And we all know that, is that true? No. Addiction is a disease. It needs to be treated. Christians, have you ever just gotten so confused or mad at God that you're like, I'm going to go to my room and shut the door. I can't deal right now. You get frustrated. You can't understand God. You don't know why He did what He did. You have no idea what He's doing. He's frustrated you. He's made you mad. And if y'all are like, well, wait a minute. No, you're talking about it. No, I'm not. You've experienced this and you know it. Don't give me that. Well, don't lie in church. Don't lie nowhere, but don't lie here especially. But do you know what Christians all have in common? Eventually we creep that door open and we come out and we look at Jesus and you say, you know what, I couldn't even leave you if I wanted to. I can't quit. That you can get frustrated, you can get confused, you can be just completely mentally befuddled. And you can say, that's it, Jesus, I'm done. And he just looks back at you and goes, no, you won't. No, you're not. You mind, you're not going anywhere. 
You might get mad, you might get huffy, but I'm going to be right here when you come back because that's what you're going to do. John 6, verses 66 through 69. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered Him and said, What every person who has the witness in themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit has said at some point in their life, whether you've said it with your tongue or whether you've said it with your heart or whether you've said it with your mind or maybe you didn't say it at all. You just found out, I don't have an explanation for this. This is just what I do and and I don't have a choice. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The idea being, Jesus, if I left you, where am I going? What what else would I do? When you got the witness in yourself, what the Holy Spirit comes and does is the Holy Spirit convinces you, confirms to you, you made the right call believing in Jesus. You're right. And y'all, that's powerful when it happens. That there can be, you can be sure of nothing else in your life. But the one thing you're sure of is, you know what? I may not understand God. I may not, I may not mentally be on the same page as Him right now. Very rarely, by the way, am I mentally on the same page as God. You know what I'm saying? I, I may not have a clue what the plan of God is going forward. But one thing I know is wherever He is, that's where I want to be. Even if I have no idea where he's taking me. Even if I have no idea why he's doing what he's doing. God does not allow a neutral position regarding Jesus to exist. That the, God has given the external witness of the water, his, his endorsement of his son at the baptism he's given the external witness of his crucifixion the signs and the wonders at Jesus' death he has given the internal witness of the spirit confirming that to anybody who would approach the bible with an open mind i promise you if you've ever had doubts approach the bible with an open mind and you will come away a believer if you didn't it's because you're not approaching it with an open mind There is no such thing as a neutral position regarding Jesus. Either you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he was, is, will be. Or the Bible says you make God out to be a liar because you take the witness he has given you and said, that's not good enough. Let me encourage you today, if you're sitting there saying, I need more proof, I need more proof, I need more proof, I need more proof. God's given you a bunch of proof. Examine it. Take it seriously. And I dare you. Ask Him to convince you of it.
See what happens. Ask questions. But if you reject Jesus, you're calling the God of the Bible a liar. Is what John says. So to believe in God, to say you believe in God, is to believe the witness He's given of His Son. And the witness God has given, uh, to believe in God's witness is to believe in His Son. What is the witness He's given? Verse 11. And this is the testimony. So what God has provided witness toward is this. The evidence that God has given is to confirm this fact. That God has given us eternal life, has given, it has already happened. What He has given is in the possession of the people He has given it to. Has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Anybody in here want eternal life? Yes, okay. If you don't raise your hand, I'm expecting you're raising it in your heart because I can't imagine anybody would not want that. Okay? If you want eternal life, where did God say that eternal life is? In His Son. And ain't in your bank account. It ain't on Amazon.com to be ordered on Cyber Monday for $5 off tomorrow. You cannot win it in a sweepstakes. You cannot order it from Sears because you cannot order anything from Sears. It's gone. Sadly. It is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. Currently. Presently, right now. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Specifically, this is the testimony that God has provided witness toward. There is such a thing as eternal life and God has offered it. The source of this life is having His Son and to not have the Son is to not have eternal life. This is also in 1 John, but I put it on your handout to explain the severity of what this is. 1 John 2, verses 22 and 23 says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then in John chapter 8, have you noticed this all seems to be from John? John talked a lot about this. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees and and scribes and chief priests and elders. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of Myself, but He sent Me. Have you ever heard somebody say, I believe in God, but I'm not a Christian? Oh yeah. Have you ever heard somebody say that Christians, Muslims, and Jews all worship the same God? I know when I was at UGA, there was, a, there was a, a class in the religion department that got affectionately, quote-unquote, referred to as the big three. It's called Christianity, Judaism, Islam. And one of the... I actually took that class. Wanted to see what was in it. 
one of the underlying assumptions that many students in that class made was that they, those three religions are about the same God, they just view Him differently. The question I've never been able to get past is this. Here's how you determine if Christians, Muslims, and Jews worship the same God. Ask this question, is Jesus God? Two of them will tell you no, one of them will tell you yes. Doesn't seem like the same God to me. You cannot believe in the God of the Bible, but refuse to believe in His Son. If you say you believe in God, but not in Jesus, the Bible just says God's not your Father. Wait a minute, I thought we were all God's children. No. No, we're not. Jesus flat out said, if God were your father, you would love me. Do you want God to be your father? I hope so. The way to do that is to believe in his son. To accept his son. To trust his son. It is not possible to have eternal life by believing in a God different from the God who has revealed himself. Because that God does not exist. Y'all, it's real scary to look at some of the research that's being done in the United States of America right now because there are a ton of people who claim to believe in God, but then you turn around and ask those people pointed questions about what that belief in God means. And it actually just means they believe in whatever God they think there is. They just think there's someone. There's not a defined truth that they're uniting around. That they might believe in some sort of God, but we can't know much about Him because He's so far away from us. Or, yeah, we believe in God and He's good and I'm good too, so He'll let me into heaven when I get there. Oh, but I don't believe in hell because my, my God wouldn't do that. And by the way, I'm not just generically speaking. I can put names and faces with every one of these comments that I'm dropping. That I've heard people say all of them. I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. I believe in a higher power. My social studies teacher told me that, that Christianity and, and all these other world religions basically th- teach the same things. Y'all know. There's one God, and He has ultimately revealed Himself to us in the clearest way possible by His Son, Jesus. And if you say you believe in God, but you don't believe in Jesus, you might believe in a God, but you certainly don't believe in this one. And whatever other God you believe in is going to sorely disappoint you because He's not there. According to the Bible, if you say you believe in God but not Jesus, you frame the God of the Bible as a liar. According to the Bible, if you say you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to the God you believe in, you frame the God of the Bible as a liar. 
According to the Bible, if you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, but you believe in a father and son who are different than the father and son in Scripture, you frame the God of the Bible as a liar. If that seems narrow, it's because it is. Well, you Christians are just so exclusivist and you just shut people out. No, we don't. Anybody can come through that door. Anybody can come in here. Well, you're saying Jesus is the only way. Sure I am. Well, that keeps people out. No, people keep people out. If there's anything we're doing that's keeping people out, then we need to repent of it. But the one thing that we're not going to repent of is that saying Jesus is the only way to eternal life in a relationship with the Father. Salvation is exclusive to Christians, but Christianity, y'all, ain't an exclusive club. Anybody can come in. You mean a Muslim can be a Christian? Sure they can. As soon as they stop being a Muslim and they come to Christ. You mean a Hindu can be a Christian? Sure they can. As soon as they stop being a Hindu and come to Christ. You mean an atheist can be a Christian? Sure. As soon as they come to Christ. You mean a drunk or a felon or a thief? Absolutely. Come to Christ. But there's not a God out there that says all of these other things are okay. Just by themselves. Come to Christ. To believe God's witness is to believe in His Son. It's to to believe in what He has said about His Son. That there is grace for you and it's offered to you, but it's offered to you in Him. And then finally, briefly, to believe in God's Son is to have eternal life. John says in verse 13, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That John wrote this letter to Christians. And he wanted these Christians to possess the assurance that eternal life was theirs right then. Christians, look at me. I don't want you to live your day in and day out life in defeat thinking this life is horrible. This life is bad. This life is suffering. But one day I will have eternal life and then this will all be better. Stop that. I'm not telling you to act like there is no suffering in the world today because there is. Okay? Suffering is real. It exists. But the greatest possible witness you can have in the world today, in 2018 as a Christian, is to stare suffering in the eye and tell them that Jesus just beat the stuffing out of you. That there is no suffering on this planet Earth that can compare to the joy that Earth is the worst thing that can happen to you. Whatever suffering you got is temporary. That you are in this world, but praise God in Christ, you are not of this world. You possess eternal life right now. If you are a Christian, there is no suffering that you will not outlive. Even if it kills me, yes. 
Because death is suffering, and if you're a Christian, you will outlive death. You can possess the joy of your eternal life right now because if you have Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Himself is life. And if you have Him, you've got more life What really makes me sad is when I hear somebody who's lost have an experience or something. Maybe they went to a concert or they got a new thing or they went somewhere, they traveled and they said, man, I've never felt so alive. You want to know what makes you feel alive? Knowing that death is dead to you. Knowing that Christ has given you Himself, and that nothing you suffer or endure on this earth can ever take that away from you. Mark 10, 17, the rich young ruler now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He wanted to believe in his actions. He wanted to believe in some God that would accept him the way he wanted to be accepted. He wanted to enjoy uh, the best of this world and take that into the next and keep on being who he was. And Jesus uh, runs through a few things with him and says, Hey, you know, one thing you lack Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. What was it that this young ruler had to have to have eternal life? He had to have Jesus. That was it. His life had been wrapped up in everything else he had. Everything else he wanted. Everything else he thought he needed. And Jesus said, no man, get rid of all that. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. His story ended poorly. The rich young ruler went away sad because he didn't want to give up this life to possess eternal life. Your story doesn't have to end that way. Come to Jesus now and enjoy eternal life now. Believe the testimony of God concerning His Son and know that if you've got Jesus, you can't have anything more. If you don't have Jesus, you're poor. You have nothing. I'm going to ask Ms. Sandy and Ms. George to come and lead us in a couple verses of an invitation here. And I'm going to ask that you approach the gospel with an open mind that maybe you consider I don't know that I've ever given my life to Christ I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins I've never asked him to save me um, if that's the case I want to ask you to respond to this invitation come tell me pastor I want to know how I can have eternal life you can come down the side you can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin you can catch me at the back door but don't leave here if the Holy Spirit's convicting you and drawing you to Christ Respond to that. And if you are here and you are a believer, then what I want you to do is pray that the Holy Spirit would move on people like that. And if you need to come,
can come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit confirming your witness to us that Jesus the Christ is your Son and in Him is life. Those who have Him have life. Those who do not have Him do not have life. You've got the Son, you've got the Father. If you don't have the Son, neither do you have the Father. Lord, we know that those who love you love your Son. And those who do not love your Son do not love you. Father, we pray for those in here today who have never trusted Jesus Christ that you, Holy Spirit, would convict them and draw them. Lord, we as a church would accept them with loving open arms.